Our scripture for today comes from Genesis chapter 50, and I'll begin reading in verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Then Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, Joseph reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is the final sermon in our Known in the Unknown series. And a lot has happened in the last five weeks. Inauguration Day. Some of you who are higher risk have been able to get your COVID vaccine. And Winter decided to show up here this week. And as a side note, I would like to encourage you to reach out to your friends with young children and check on them after this week of snow days. A lot has changed in the last five weeks. Your work life, your health, your important relationships may have changed. Some of you have welcomed babies or watched your little ones do new things for the first time, and others of you have buried loved ones. Our congregation right now is mindful of those who are no longer with us here in February 2021. We've lost some dear saints in these last five weeks. Among those we've lost is our beloved Doyle, our pastor, our friend. When we started our Known in the Unknown series, Doyle was alive, and as it comes to an end, he is not. The end of the series feels kind of like crossing a threshold into a deeper unknown. And if I'm honest, I'm just not entirely ready to cross that threshold as if I want to hold on just a little bit longer to this span of time in which Doyle was with us. I know this grief is fresh for you too. We're just not entirely sure what it looks like to move forward without Doyle here. Joseph and his brothers find themselves in a similar situation. In today's story, Jacob has died. The patriarch, the glue of the family, is no longer there. And we can understand the uncertainty that comes with losing a parent or a grandparent, how it can leave us feeling kind of upended in the world and make the world feel like a very different place. 
In Joseph's time, we know that the patriarch was responsible for holding together and ruling all the family. And so the circumstances of Jacob's death created great unknown for his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. We also have probably all experienced before that a death in the family brings up old wounds and family drama. And that's what happens for Joseph's brothers. Joseph played nice while Jacob was here, they think. Joseph allowed us to settle here in Egypt, kept us alive during this famine while dad was alive. But now that their dad is dead, they think it's only a matter of time before Joseph makes sure they're dead. So Joseph's brothers, as they tend to do, hatch a plan. They come to Joseph and say, you know, dad really wanted you to forgive us for that terrible thing we did to you. And we who read this text can't necessarily say that what they're saying isn't true, but we can say that Jacob doesn't say this in all his final words as recorded in Genesis. So it comes across as if these brothers are still manipulating. In their little scheme, Joseph's brothers appeal to Joseph's love for their father. And then they do two other things in order to secure their future. The first thing they do is they get down on their knees and bow down to Joseph. The Bible goes out of its way to include this specific detail. It reminds us It reminds Joseph of the beginning of Joseph's story when he dreamed that one day his brothers would bow down to him. And the second thing they do is they offer themselves as slaves, which is a way for them to say to Joseph, look, as a repayment for all the bad stuff we did when we sold you into slavery, we will be your slaves. We will be slaves of Egypt, so please don't kill us. The end of Joseph's story reminds me a little bit of the end of the prodigal son parable in Luke's gospel. Jesus tells a story about a man who had two sons, the older son and the younger son. And the younger son tells his dad, hey, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me my inheritance. So then he takes off with the inheritance. He goes and he squanders all of it. He really messes up. So then when the younger son comes home, his dad welcomes him back and reinstates him to the family, even though he doesn't deserve it. And the older son, who stayed and did the right thing, cannot believe his father would reinstate his brother to the family. And he cannot believe, as the eldest son, that his father would take part of his inheritance and use it for his loser brother. So what Jesus does in this parable of the prodigal son is turn the tables and raise questions about who in the story is really lost. At first we think it's the younger son, but by the end of the story we see it's the older son. Jesus ends the parable without telling us whether the older son 
ever experiences a change of heart as did his younger brother. We don't know if the lost older son will ever come home and be saved. And Jesus helps us wonder the same thing about ourselves. So as I read the end of Joseph's story, I hear it the same way. The story helps us realize that it's now Joseph's brothers who are lost, which is different than how it all began. The story shifts our attention to Joseph's brothers as Joseph is coming to the end of his life, inviting us to see them as the ones responsible for carrying forward the family line in the future, and inviting us to see ourselves in their place. In our sermon series, as we've learned about Joseph's life, we have seen his conversion and redemption, how Joseph becomes a person who fears God and values helping others more than helping himself. But we really haven't seen it come full circle for the brothers, have we? We know now that Joseph trusts God The text doesn't tell us if the brothers do. We see now that Joseph wants to secure the future of others by providing for them in the time of famine. But we see that the brothers are still focused on securing their own future. So will Joseph's brothers move into their unknown future, trusting God and caring for others? And the story asks the same thing of us. Will we trust God? Are we focused on securing our own future or the future of others? Will we move into the unknown, trusting God, caring for others? I know that we all want to be Joseph when we grow up, right? We all want to be able to say, God works for good in all things, even though not all things are good. And we want to be able to believe that. Even if we are betrayed or abused, even if we're forced to leave our home or our family, even if we're wrongly accused, imprisoned, or stripped of a job we really needed, And then even when the opposite is true, when we find ourselves in places of power and privilege and influence, we all want to be able to say and believe that God works for good in all things, even though not all things are good. And we want to love our neighbors more than ourselves. We want to do unto the least of these, even as we would unto Jesus. We want to work to build a more secure future for others. We want to be so free and so sure of who we are in Christ that we don't worry about ourselves anymore, that we spend our time investing in others, loving others, praying for others, building God's future for others. But today, maybe you're not so sure you have that much faith. Maybe you're feeling battered by the pain and the suffering and the mistakes that are a part of life. 
Maybe you are feeling smack dab in the middle of the truth that much of our lives are out of our control. And there is so much that you cannot understand. So many places where you cannot see the goodness of God. So maybe you're wondering if you'll ever really feel deep down in your soul, be able to believe that God works for good, even in the midst of evil. Maybe you're struggling to believe that you can really change anything about the world, that you can really do that much good. This week I heard a news story about a teenager, 15-year-old, named Sadal. Sadal is a refugee from Eritrea, and she's been seeking asylum as a refugee since she was 8 years old. She's been on her own since she was 11 years old when her father died. She's lived in three countries in the last seven years, and she has experienced the ugliest side of refugee life. Earlier this year, when Sadal lost her income, her group of teenage friends paid a smuggler to take her across the Mediterranean to try to get to a safer place so she wouldn't be kidnapped again. Sadal almost died on that journey, as have many others in the last five years, and 12 of her raftmates died on that journey in the Mediterranean. There is much evil at work around Sadal, right? Like we can look at the situation and we can see that. The government who came after her family, the traffickers and smugglers who took advantage of her, the governments who broke international law by refusing to answer distress calls from the Mediterranean rafts and by paying fishing boats to illegally push these rafts back from their coastlines. The pandemic, Sadal's life, and so many other lives in the world today are examples of innocent suffering because of radical evil. People who are suffering and facing hardship, who never strutted and bragged in front of their siblings, as did Joseph. People who have done nothing to deserve their life circumstances. Nothing. But there are people in Sadal's life who have worked for good in the face of evil. People who liberated her from trafficking. People who gave her a life and a job. People who are now legally representing her and others to defend their legal rights, including their right to life. Right now, there are 272 million people who are part of a great global migration. This is a reality that did not end with Joseph's family migrating to Egypt to seek asylum during a time of famine. This is a, a serious issue for Christ followers, and it's one that's not going away. Right now, there are 80 million forcibly displaced people in the world, and 26 million of those people have had to flee their countries, what we call refugees. And of those 26 million 
refugees, half are children. Half. And so the story of Joseph continues, right? The pandemic has been tough on a lot of people. And we know that right now in our own country, a quarter, a quarter of our population is facing food insecurity. Of the 74 million children in the United States, 18 million of those children are living food insecure, which means they don't have enough to eat. That's one out of every four children, not just in our country, but right here, right here in our community. Hunger, housing insecurity, poverty, illness, these are realities we know are not far away from us, but they're right here in our neighborhood. And just as people in our community need help and they need hope, they also need to know that Jesus loves them. People in our community need people in their lives who will act like Jesus. In our sermon series over the last five weeks, we have learned that we are not alone in the unknown, that God is with us, God is for us, God is at work in our lives, helping us take our next right step in love. And in whatever you are facing today, hear me say that even in a world where there is evil and there is suffering that is too great for us to understand and too big for us to overcome, the power of God is overcoming evil with good. And I want you to hear me say that when you cannot find God's good, you can be God's good for somebody else. Like Joseph's brothers, we are forgiven people living in a land of plenty during a time of crisis. Like Joseph's brothers, we are charged. Our job is to discern how we are going to move into the future. We don't know what the future holds, but First Baptist we do know that the power of God is a hopeful future. And that is a future that is full of God's good for all people. I want you to hear me say that I am so grateful to be a part of a congregation that is so deeply invested physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally in being God's good for others in our community. What a gift. What a gift you are. So as we discern together and make decisions about how we move into the future, let's decide together that however we move, it's going to be more deeply into love. And it's going to be more deeply into focus on building a secure future for our neighbors. And as we move, let us continue to proclaim the truth that we are not overcome with evil because through Christ, we are people who overcome evil with good. Amen. Please pray with me.
loving and holy God, we open up before you those spaces in our hearts where we are broken, where we do not understand, where we're not sure that we can believe that your good is more powerful than evil. God, come to us in this space. Help us to experience your compassion and to see the life of Christ as a model for how we live in a world where there is evil and there is injustice and there is wrong. God, give us comfort and strength as we listen for how you are inviting us to be your good in the lives of others. Amen. This is my Father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings And round me rings The music of the spheres This is my Father's world I rest me in the thought Of rocks and trees of skies and seas his hand the wonders wrought this is my father's world oh let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong God is a ruler yet this is my father's world the battle is not done jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one this is my father's world I'm so glad you joined us for online worship today. As we prepare to receive our blessing, I want you to remember that we are here for you, that we care for you, that we believe God is working in your life, and that God loves you. You're welcome to visit our website to learn more about how you can connect with us, but know that we are praying for you and that you are not alone. I invite you to receive this blessing. As we leave this time of worship, let's not forget there is nowhere we can go where God is not. Everywhere we go, God goes before us from the farthest ocean to the highest mountain, from the heights of joy to the depths of despair. Wherever we find ourselves, God is already there. So go in peace, for we do not go alone. Amen.